Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. me down until I am clean. I buy books I never read and then I'll tell you some more about me. Beneath the concrete there's a sound, a muffled cry below the ground. There is a poison in the air, a mix of chemicals and fear. Paul, how are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. Very well indeed. Uh, I'm just going to get my recorders all set up and ready to go. I have to make sure I do those at the start. Uh, go again. Hello, hello, hello. There we are. Lovely stuff. It's, it's, I'm still, I mean, I bought this thing called the, uh, the Rodecaster Pro, right, which is like a kind of home radio desk that allows you to do high-quality phoners. And I've been doing that for the last, you know, six, however long we've been in this thing. Well, I guess a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I switched to Zoom this year because I was like, if it's going to still be going on just for my own sake of sanity and mixing it up, um, I've switched to Zoom. And so far... So good. I imagine you've been doing a lot of these, and this is the first time you've ever done all digital press campaigns. Yes, it how, is. <laughs> how has it been for you with the removal of the human element? Um, it's it's been okay. Um, I mean, it's it's difficult because I feel like um, more people, you know, people get more from that sort of personal interaction and being in the same room and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, you know, obviously, I don't have to go very far just go up to my attic room where i'm talking to you from now and um in some ways it's a little bit easier 
Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I, I associate all the interviews with being out on the road and doing like an in-store or doing a gig wherever it might be in, you know, in Germany or in this, or in, in this country. So yeah, it, it, it feels wrong because I know that, yeah, the, the sort of shackles are on in some way and, and that's, that's fair enough. You know, every, everybody's got so many things that they've got to deal with. You know, I, I, I feel doing, doing things this way is okay, you know, compared to what some people have to do. Yeah, I wonder how much of this world will remain when the old world returns, because I've got so many friends who I imagine the companies they work for, their businesses, will continue to operate from home. They're going to, you know, go, well, why would we waste all this money on renting out office spaces when everybody can function just as highly from their homes? I think it's going to change the world. Hopefully, not not too much but it's i mean when we do revert back to some form of you know normality the the effects of this thing on every level like psychologically economically sociologically it's going to linger for if not forever for a long time isn't it both the good and the bad that's right there's going to need to be some sort of reconfiguration and people can kind of see the the world slightly differently and you know we we realize that if you need a, um, an economic stimulus for people who are really struggling, you probably can create one from this sixth richest country in the world. Um, and, you know, people couldn't see a time when, you know, carbon emissions would go down. And yet, obviously, with, with people not, not getting in the cars as much and people not flying as much, those kind of things you know, you see an immediate effect, so you know that it can be done. But obviously, that's not the way that our world works and that we've built up an industrialised world where we rely on on certain things that do have carbon emissions to to go from A to B and to, to make things work. So, yeah, it, it, in an ideal world, um, which we clearly don't live in, um, you know, you would find <laughs> a, a sort of a happy medium where we could, we could really make a, an impact on things like poverty and on... Um, you know, reducing emissions. But my 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 prevailing instinct is that yes, people just want to get back to normal, whatever that means. And you know, people have made sacrifices for the last year and will continue to do so for uh, most of this year. And I think that 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 makes people feel like okay, we've you know we've done our bit. Let's let's get back to normal. But there are, there's a bigger picture as well that I hope. Um, you know, governments who who can have have more of a, more control over it than I do, um, can can look at that. But uh, you know, again, I, I don't have too much faith that that'll happen because, you know, it's economically driven and it's all about thriving in that in that kind of capitalist sense. So yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, for me, I want to go off on a slightly different tangent in a minute. But for me, capitalism really is the worst thing in the world. Um, I know that there's many other things that plague our society. There's obviously racism still, you know, very much in full effect, as we've seen, particularly this year. And, you know, sexism as well. And, you know, the mistreatment of so many people in the entertainment industry we've seen in the last couple of years as well. But for me, the far greater evil than all of that and the root really of all of it, which is greed and, and driven by not to go off on too much of a negative <laughs> rant at the start, but it's just such an awful model isn't it the big c capitalism well i mean it's it, you know we we need to restructure our society and to what extent that is 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 done is is 
is the big question for people on on the so-called left. Um, you know, how do you do that? How, what lengths do you go to? Um, you know, for for musicians, and you know, that's obviously my personal world. And you think of the the things that that um, give give music out to people. You know, the so-called service you know platforms or providers you know there's yeah. a lot of kind of corporate language involved in in kind of in music industry kind of things because it's an industry and it is corporate and um i, I come from a, a sort of outside perspective on that and from a, a more diy background and and you know i see i see the way that it, it can um you know it the, the, I, I see the way that things turn out for for the people who are making the music and it doesn't seem fair, but then um, what is fair <laughs> is a big question. And how, how do you go about making that happen? Um, you know, do you, do you withdraw your music from um, one of the big platforms because you don't believe in, um, in how they remunerate artists? Do you, um, you know, what not work with big companies or do you then look at it and go, well, which big company isn't, you know, um, great at you know who, who are there any that are great at workers workers rights and across the board you realize that the the structure that you're in has loads and loads of flaws but do you withdraw from it or do you try and fight for change within is that futile i mean the, the questions are kind of endless on this and it, it it can scramble your brain but i think you do have to be aware of those things otherwise you're not thinking about what you do and you're not thinking um, about others as well, because the there's you know impacts on everybody um, from our own small behaviours and and a kind of ripple effect that goes out from there. And obviously, people who have more power um, in whatever industry it might be really have the 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 controls to to change things. And and yes, I think I think a lot of the the change in that sort of Marxist way, you know, it needs to come from the the masses and from people who are working but i think one of the one of the problems if you can call it that is that we're we're, we're quite comfortable the majority of us and and we don't see the sort of you know the the people who are in poverty and we don't see the people at the top you know however whatever tiny percentage that owns the majority of a of, of a country's wealth those you know everybody else is 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 um struggling to a lesser or greater extent but you know you can you might still have your your subscription to whatever that you can watch on a night um you know all these things it's all kind of interlinked and um you know it feels like that we you know society could be much better structured i'm not i'm not saying that i i know the 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 right way to do it and i also think one of the problems that our you know our society in in britain the west whatever you want to call it is that we you know, we're sort of blinded by power and celebrity and, you know, our politicians, it's a, you know, personality politics is, is part of the reason why we have Boris Johnson in charge of our country. Um, you know, looking at his track record and his, you know, um, his pronouncements over the years and his, um, shady journalistic actions um, which are all on record, you know, it's, it's all there for people to see. Um, none of that really matters when it comes to the crunch, because there's a, you know, there's a, the, the media perception of him is 
bumbling, but from a, a, a an affluent background, an educated background. He's got the right accent to succeed in our country. Um, and all of those different things that just all tots up um, to create this this um, this figurehead that people need. You know, the 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 so-called strongman. Um, you know, that's that you can see from Hungary to the US over the last four years, anyway, um, until the, the the recent transition. Again, arguable as to what the what the degree of change is you know all, all very interesting questions but it it does boil down to this idea that people take notice of of what somebody says if they're on the you know on the tv if they have a platform if they're being interviewed for a podcast you know what what do i know i'm a musician but i mean on the other hand people do look to artists and to people that they um you know they, they respect in order to sort of make sense of the world and it's almost like a little collaboration or a, co- a kind of conversation that goes on and i think that that means that people who are in in those positions have a have a responsibility not to you know spout loads of anti-vax theories which are again a, f- a few few pop stars or rock stars have, have been um going down that road um and yeah the, the, the to, to me um society could be a lot more balanced in every respect whether it's you know not paying any attention to what i'm saying or you know trying to solve child poverty or whatever it's it's um it's all interlinked i suppose have you seen the new adam curtis documentary series i haven't it's on my list of things to watch but yeah with with our album coming out um i'm not sure i, I needed i needed an extra um lump <laughs> of stuff to think about at the moment <laughs> yeah because his stuff is heady and and he he really does draw these these links and these parallels and it's kind of everything you're alluding to there there's so much going on and it is all intertwined and i think such a big part of it is technology and so i love the way you're obviously trying to like reclaim and, and reconnect with the natural world i presume that's you know part of what you're doing with the new album and for me this year such a huge part of my mental health and self-preservation and trying to stay optimistic and connected and almost by being disconnected from this fucking maelstrom of noise and chaos in the news and social media and everywhere online and actually just pull it back to the natural world and go on daily walks and connect with nature and that's been so enriching for my soul i wonder whether that has been you know, a somewhat similar journey you've been on with the, with the lyrics and the, the themes of this album is that, you know, the natural world, the old world, perhaps a more simplistic way of life, a part of where you're coming from with this record. Well, I mean, it, it kind of boils down to, to one song in terms of, of that area where um, the Child of the Flatlands song um, that closes the record touches on on those issues and there are it's also where we got the album title from nature always wins and i kind of used that as a bit of a uh, a starting off point for perhaps what the themes on the record might be because I, a lot of it is to do with parenthood um and my daughter's nearly five now so that the whole last four years of writing this record or thinking about new music since our last record involved lots of thoughts about her and and how um her existence impacts on me and how mine impacts on her and is it your first child paul it is it is yeah 
Worse so than it's, last. <laughs> it's, it's a complete reconfiguration of your relationship with the world, isn't it? It is. And that's why it comes down to things like, you know, big, big questions like what are we doing to the world? And um, what, what is my relationship with, with the bigger picture? What can I control? Which are kind of themes that, you know, Maximo Park songs have, have touched upon over the years. Anyway, yeah. you know, something like Waves of Fear from our fourth record was, was, was about that topic and trying to see if you could control what's in your, your sort of direct line of sight. And, and hopefully that, that, that would, would be a good starting point instead of trying to be, instead of being overwhelmed by, by the bigger picture. Um, you know, th- those, those kind of things have been part of the, the fabric of the, the songs, but I think the new, the new album is a little bit more reflective and, you know, that song that I mentioned, Child of the Flatlands, was looking back at my childhood and thinking, you know, childhood is a simpler time, hopefully, you know, for, for most for most kids out there. And, um, you know, even in, in kind of playground, the playground sense, you know, what what's right and what's wrong um, seems to be um, very basic. And even if you're on the wrong side of that. Um, and, I, you know, I went back to my old town of, of Billingham to make some photographs and sketches for some paintings that I wanted to do, which are, are, is a kind of ongoing thing that I'll hopefully get around to doing at some point when I've stopped homeschooling. Um, have you been doing the the single album cover art? Work? I have not. <laughs> no, no. They're great, they are. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's our friend Laura Lancaster, who I went to art college with in Hartlepool and um, we've, we've known each other. We were in a band together. We formed a band at, um, at art college, even though we, we didn't call it that we were just practicing in, in each other's bedrooms and, um, myself and Laura's sister, Rachel, who's also a really talented, um, artist, the Lancaster twins. Um, they've, yeah, they, they've been part of my life for so long now that I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure whether Laura would, would allow us to use that because, um, she's, she's quite um acclaimed really in the art world i think she's got an exhibition at the moment in south korea and um, oh wow yeah she's she's you know well known her her her, uh, her her works in in books and is very expensive <laughs> and so yeah i thought she might not let us use it but i think she realized that the the sort of the distorted childhood images and family life that she gets from old slides that she finds and old family photos that she gets from flea markets and then you know works her magic on they they sort of mirrored what i wanted to talk about on the record because family life is such an intense experience even though it's in some senses it's seen as as you know domestic life is seen as kind of very boring and you know not not natural subject matter for a pop song and you know i, I love pop songs and i love elevating everyday life into pop songs and trying to see if I can make it not just interesting, but universally connective to, to, to people. And so, yeah, that, that, that tied in again to the, to that particular song of child of the flatlands and a few of the other ones that talk about that, um, the, the ups and downs and the highs and lows of, of parenthood, which, which are the highs and lows of love, you know, and, and trying to do the right thing. And, and again, that extends to nature always wins, you know, our human nature tends to win out. Um, and you can obviously make it into, <laughs> into something very relevant by thinking about the pandemic and how, you know, humans are trying to 
deal with that and and done and are doing a pretty good job all all things considered in terms of the science um but ultimately we've been humbled um by nature and just by the things around us and the natural world and our environment and we will be eventually over a very slow um long process of time we'll be you know we'll be humbled again when the you know the weather and the 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 heat rises and all sorts of different things uh, are linked to that you know a lot of people will move away from warmer areas of the of the earth that'll um even eventually erode farming land and everybody will be whinging about migrants again and you think this is you know all of these things are inevitable because of the way that we treat the world and the way that we treat each other we need to have empathy and and try and look at solving things together um you know even even down to the vaccine in our country once we're vaccinated are we going to just close the close the borders and stop those 12,000 people coming in every day um you know using the airports which is obviously a very small number compared to what it usually would be but it's still <laughs> you know this is a global issue and we need to work together and you know again that that goes back to the the song child of the flatlands where after this first part of the song which is kind of longing for a simpler life walking by riverbanks and in the in the in the places of of town where industry meets nature and nature takes over these old factories and reclaims what was once its own um you know in those places um we it, it, we kind of move on in the song to um talk of a, a borderless world and the old world is clinging to the coattails and there's so many there's so many ideas about um the west there's so many ideas about um our own country the, the sort of empirical thinking and the exceptionalism of of ourselves and somewhere like america's a great the usa is quite a good example again of of the exceptionalism you know america's the greatest country on earth and we need you know we we look after everything globally as well as on our own doorstep and you know we we need to look at the reality of that situation again the kind of the the disconnect between reality and what what is perceived is part of yeah it's part of the songs you know i'm trying to work it out myself um and on the song i don't know what i'm doing one of the kind of punkier songs on the record it is that is the question you know it says when i work it all out i'll tell you i know you know i don't know what i'm doing and whilst that was me addressing my my daughter i think you know anybody whether they're a parent or not has those feelings of self doubt and we all want to know more about the world and we all think we're important and it, you know we we are but we're also part of this bigger picture that you know goes back to again what we've been talking about wow i mean there's so many things i want to try and get into off the back of that let me try and go through them all in my head so the first thing for me as i was having a chat with a friend of mine the other day and he was sort of talking to me about how it's it's almost this innate human philosophy and approach to life that we don't respond to a threat until it's right there in front of us so climate change being a good example of something that we've known about for so many years but until it's right there and you know the sea levels are rising and you know places like texas at the moment there's water freezing it's so cold until it's on your doorstep i think people are so slow to react aren't they and that's not just the politicians that's like us regular people like me and you you know because you don't want to go through your whole life living in this survivalistic mode of of fear and constant high alert but 
I think this last year, as you say the word there, humbled, this last 12-month pandemic experience all over the globe, I think, has really levelled the playing field and hopefully taught us all that we need to be a little bit more self-aware of not just our immediate surroundings, but of the larger picture, i.e. The, the planet that we're all here living on and doing away with borders and working together to try and actually preserve the world for kids like yours and their kids and so on. Well, I mean, you know, that, that go on, on that sort of, um, on the, on the micro level of, of zooming in again to, to like the record that we've just made that idea of what have I passed on to my daughter in terms of behavior, um, and everything really, but, but in, in terms of behavior and whether my own behavior is the cause of her behavior, whether, whether my DNA is part of it and I can't really do anything about that. Um, and just wondering exactly what the, the ramifications of your own behavior are, um, that, you know, that's kind of, um, something that all of us can think about and you can think about, I've, I've, I've said it recently, you know, you go to the, you go to the supermarket and somebody has been working there all day long and they're having a bad one. And, you know, you're just, you, you, you can control how, how your interaction with this person goes, even though it's a very, you know, it's a transactional thing. Um, we can, we can be empathetic. We can talk to other people. We, you know, if somebody doesn't want to talk, we can, we can try and know when, when to draw back. And I think that's, that's one of the other questions on the record is how do, how do we, how does our behavior impact other people and can we modify it or, or are we, are we doomed to, to repeat ourselves? Are we so limited as human beings in that, in the, in the wider picture, which you were talking about just there? Um, you know, are we, are we stuck in this kind of groove that just, you know, we'll, we'll be enlightened and then everything will relax again. And you could look at that. You could look at our own country again on the, on, on that sort of less global and more of a national level where we've gone into these lockdowns and then eased up and we've gone back into the, another, another lockdown and a worse one as well, you know, a worse, a worse effect. Um, and then, you know, is that, is that something that we're, we're dooming ourselves to now because we're, you know, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a teacher and he, he can't believe that we're sending 10, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, 10 million kids back to school. I don't know what it is. Um, but like a lot of kids, yeah, <laughs> a hell of a lot of kids, you know, why, why, why couldn't they have waited three weeks till the, till, the, um, the Easter half term and just put primary school kids and kids who are doing exams back in at secondary school. And, you know, the, the, the answers are obviously, you know, that are open to debate and, I'm not saying again. I'm not saying that I know the answer to this, but there is a there is a prevailing thought that is is um, bandied about in the media. And I look at the I look at all the newspaper headlines most days just to see what what the broad spectrum is. You know, what comparing all of them to each other. What is the truth between all of the different standpoints? And um, you know, as as a left leaning person, I will I will obviously. Um, have my own biases, no doubt about that. But I think, you know, it, it's, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're, we are obsessed with, with what's right in front of our nose. Um, and yes, as you say, until something gets forced, forced into our, into our blinkered vision, you know, it, it doesn't really 
impact on our on our thinking or or it we can put it aside and i mean you know we, we, that's that's the way we are as individuals but to go back to our our initial sort of more um societal way of thinking it has to it has to be connected to um power and and economic priorities the the reason why um climate change hasn't been dealt with is because of of um powerful interests in the industries that that profit from from um you know burning fossil fuels and that is you know the the, the people who are in charge of some of those multinational companies are uh, have been proven to to have have employed many people at, a, at at their own personal cost to you know provide disinformation and i think that's one of the one of the key aspects of the of of the world that we are emerging into is is the idea of dis- disinformation and technology being our our sort of main means of communicating with each other you know whereas it, that might not have been the case it might have been more community based um national media was more limited to you know a, a sort of key number of outlets and so we end up with this situation where we have so much more data and that is now being being kind of bent to whatever it, it, you know you want it to to be applied to which again is a, another one that scrambles your mind when you think about it like that but you know i i can't blame anybody who doesn't who doesn't really have climate change in their sort of you know it's one of their priorities in life you know life is hard for a lot of people and when you're working and trying to bring up kids it's you know your your priorities are very close to you no doubt about it um and therefore we have to we have to look at at, at who we elect democratically and try and make sure that their priorities while we while we can't keep our eye on that ball um you know their priorities are to deal with these these big issues whilst obviously looking after the looking after the people who voted them in and i think um you know if if there is all of this kind of disinformation out there it you know it's it's going to take a lot to to try and convince people who haven't looked into it who haven't got that that sort of breadth of of sources to look at you know they're looking at a facebook or a youtube video that's been posted by somebody who's um you know a, uh, a liar you know and and uh, then then the algorithm will take them towards more people of that ilk which again is is a disturbing thing you know in in terms of how much power the um you know social media platforms have and whether whether they know it or not um and that's again that's open to conjecture obviously <laughs> I wonder how much your daughter's generation, when she's old enough to be, you know, aware and, and, and wanting if it's still a thing to use things like Facebook or whatever the social media of the day will be. Because as you say, there was a time when we were growing up, you're a few years older than me, but basically the same generation where news was the newspapers, radio, television, that was it. And generally, although there was obviously you know, subjectivity and bias involved with a lot of journalism and, you know, each party, you know, perhaps funded particular papers and whatever. But there was always a sense of, well, this has gone through an editor and, you know, this platform. So it's 
fairly trustworthy now with the internet you can anybody can write or say anything post it and then a lot of what blows my mind is how many people now just assume that whatever they read or see or hear on the internet is is true and is fact and then the flip side to that what also blows my mind is and maybe this is just incredibly naive of me well of course it is but and i'm sure you're the same like i don't lie i don't understand the value or what's to to gain how hopelessly ironic and naive is that but for me i want to live a truthful life i want to be an authentic human being so the idea of making stuff up is that's like child's play that's like playing a game in the woods with your friends it seems so removed from the way i'd want to conduct myself in day-to-day life and so you've got these people out there that are so willing to lie and that's obviously the people right at the top of the tree as well politicians all the way down to just you know internet celebrities all these people want to spread misinformation disinformation lies and then so many people are are willing to accept it as as truth that all of that together is what makes me want to run away from technology for forever <laughs> and, and and just live out, you know, in a nice community that has a corner shop and where the values are more deep rooted in, you know, the old fashioned way of life, the simpler way of life, going back to what I was saying earlier. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because, um, you know, there's obviously an argument that there's a, a, an inherent conservatism to that, to that, um, the, the former orthodoxy of, uh, you know, limited um, media outlets and, um, you know, even something like the BBC, um, which I'm, a, uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of, you know, obviously has, ev- you know, editorial policies across the political um, departments, which um, I don't necessarily agree with, um, especially when you look at the background of people who are in, in those positions. But yeah. obviously at the same time, everybody has an opinion you know everybody does have a bias and has has their opinion on on what the world should be like and it would be almost impossible to to mitigate against that but i think you do you do um you do need some sort of arbiters of truth and i don't know where that comes from whether it comes from the courts um again who you, if you look at the percentage of high court judges uh, and their background and um w- you know what what sex they are, what age they are, um, or more importantly, what class they're from, well, right? That I that think, seems to be the key. Well, yeah, I mean, this that's the, the this is the thing. Um, a lot of them are privately educated and part of a network. You know, you can we all have our own networks. You know, there's a network in the music industry. Um, yeah, you know that you can. There's different ones going. You know, going about it more more sort of independent networks, which are, are definitely important. There's more uh, corporate networks and again those those are the those are the networks where you know you eventually find yourself earning a lot of money or being around a lot of money um which makes the world go around as we know and and i think um it's it's important again to have press standards who who is appointed as the as the 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 person in charge of all that again how that how that gets gets into um our our current um dilemmas with with the conservative government appointing whoever as the the um, director of the the BBC and um, Ofcom, who's going to be in charge of that? It, you know, there's it it's it's it all feeds but again back into that network of of mostly privately educated older white men, and it doesn't represent our country. And um, I think yeah, not at all. 
yeah, I think that's 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 gonna always gonna be a big issue. If you have a rep, if you have representative bodies that can um, look at standards in whatever whatever aspect of life, um, then I think you you know you're getting more towards a a fairer society, which is is always going to be elusive. I'm afraid because the you know the system that we live in is is ingrained, and and most of us profit from it you know in terms you know literally a percentage a majority percentage of us are um in some way comfortable with a roof over our heads um whether you're renting or, or you own your own house um and i think i think the other the other side of the coin is that that yeah all of that information out there some of it is is clearly useful and would never have been there before you know people going out on their own to deal with specific issues that that might not be covered in uh, a national newspaper or a local newspaper again local newspapers local radios stations are being um edged out libraries yep. you know uh, sources of knowledge for working class people or just places where you don't have to spend any money in the middle of a of a of a, a town or a city you know those places are important to me you know as a, as a kind of sing about on the record um and I think I think it's 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 very difficult to to know um, how you could stop um, disinformation on the internet when the, again there are people being paid somewhere wherever it might be in Saint Petersburg. I don't know. Um, I've just read a book called "This Is Not Propaganda" by Peter Pomerantsev, which won the Gordon Byrne Prize last year, and it's all about those kind of. Um, the the sort of war on truth and the people who are trying to fight back against it and the language that's used in in sort of disinformation and so-called fake news and yeah. how 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 objectivity is seen as a as a as a stance you know it's an, it's it's not really it isn't objectivity isn't there is no objectivity <laughs> um and it, you know if you're pretending if you're acting like you're objective then it is just an act as far as you know fox news is concerned or or whatever and i think um the, the, I, I can't i can't really tell you what what any of the answers are but i i feel like the way things were in in terms of the the limited um amount of media was was had pros and cons and i think that it's the same with with the internet and online discourse it's it, you know it obviously lead one thing leads to another on 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 search engines and you know how how who's paying for that you know who's advertising um and where do those search results lead you and i'm not saying that it's even disinformation it's just it's it's advertising really you know it's people getting you to go down a certain path that 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 is um something that needs addressing you know that there needs to be some sort of transparency in terms of how google works or whatever and the the more control that these sort of four or five multinational social media and um and these different platforms have it's only going to get worse because it just becomes ingrained so much you know you, you don't have any chance to to kind of instill some sort of industry standards on that the further down the line it goes and the key really simply um is just critical thinking isn't it the ownership's on the individual and, and that's something i've been thinking a lot about in this last year is looking at how individuals react to this very specific situation we've been in and just thinking well 
okay, this person's saying this thing, but then why are they saying that? And and what you mentioned earlier, comparing and contrasting different sources, trying to get the broader picture, and then really just it's up to you as an individual to make up your own mind based on the information in front of you. Obviously, it's going to be led by your preordained biases and you know personal experiences to some extent, but if you can just try and absorb as much of a cross-section of information as possible then you can make up your own mind and then hope i just would like more critical thinking in a nutshell paul yeah (laughs) and it's so refreshing to talk to someone like yourself who is clearly of that exact same school of thought it's reasonable you know i'm 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 an emotional emotionally driven person you know if you show me a, a graph and kind of explain it to me then i'll 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 listen and i'll be i'll digest it you know i'll try and it might change my mind. You know, I think you've got to be open to having your mind changed. And yep. that is difficult for everybody. You know, I, I'm, I'm the same. You know, I have, I have my beliefs and I've worked at them over the course of whatever, 40 years. And I, I, But I believe that there's still room for me to learn more about the world and for me to kind of adjust the way that I think about certain issues, issues that I haven't even considered you know, that, that people might bring to your attention and it's up to, up to you to, to again, be humble and say, look, I don't know, you know, I don't know the answers to this. Can you, can you help educate me? And then I can, I can try and, um, adjust my thinking and adjust my behavior to that. And I think that's, that would be a, I mean, it's an ideal, ideal situation if you can be like that. And it's a, it's a, it's a battle to be like that. You know, our, our brains are wired um, the way that they have been since since birth and since childhood, and the way that we've been shaped by the society that we live in. But you know, even you know, you could take any any sort of, um, I guess, uh, hot hot topic, you know, and 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 say, let's have let's have a look at the truth of the situation. You know, like um, immigration in our country. You know, you'll you'll often hear people talking about people coming and stealing our jobs. Or you'll hear about, you know, um, ethnic minority gangs of of people preying upon young women. And if you look at the the, the figures, um, you know, in neither case, um, it, it, it's true. It's in neither case it's true that um, that these things are happening. It's actually, again, it, it reflects society. You know, you'll find out that it's mostly um, white male grooming gangs or whatever and you'll find out that um you know the 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 people who are coming here to work are doing the jobs that we don't necessarily want to do and you know when it comes to fruit picking season or you know people working in care homes you know you'll find a shortage or an nhs workers you'll find a shortage of people in that area especially due to their kind of hostile environment that has um lowered immigration over the last year or two and especially since the the brexit vote really um made that such a toxic issue and you know i i can't i can't go around telling everybody and i also think that if i did people would say who's this guy you know he's a you know he's a a, a daft pop star you know <laughs> um whatever whatever you know you, you but you, you if i think that and if i write about that and if i talk about it then it's you know that that i would like to think that that um that way of thinking permeates out a little bit and again people can go away and go is that true i don't necessarily believe it and then they can they can find 
the 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 information that that I'm talking about that you know I can't bring to mind, but somebody can then go and have a look at a you know a Financial Times graph on you know the the pandemic and see exactly what's going on and how things rise and fall with lockdowns and um and again they can form their own opinion about that issue. I think the the problem is that it it you know it, there's so many bad actors in this you know bad faith actors whatever you want to call it um people out there who are kind of asking asking very tenuous questions you know and, and using very um ambiguous language so that they can't actually be um sense censured for for saying what they say but it points people in a certain direction and you know whether that's UKIP and Nigel Farage and the way that they've talked about immigrants um and then just just fall short of saying something um truly inflammatory inflammatory just something that's mildly inflammatory instead then you know until until that sort of thing um can be combated in a way um it, you know again free speech means that they can kind of say what they want um but do we do we have to give them platforms you know again that's something that's that's um some what you know academics have been talking about that recently and what can be said in in universities and you know so-called cancel culture um which usually involves loads of people saying i can't believe i've been cancelled on newsnight or <laughs> or something like that um you know some slightly ridiculous when you consider the you know the mouthpiece that these people have been given on a on a national or international level so yeah there's i mean i'm starting to ramble now <laughs> no not at all mate well listen let me tell you this so last night i was watching the um the found on film tour documentary oh yeah which you, which you guys shot back in the day it made me so nostalgic for the noughties shot beautifully on super 8 but this is what was really strange about the whole experience after your found on film tour documentary there was an amazing documentary on the clash in this random um you know playlist the algorithm playlist that youtube threw up so i started watching the Clash documentary afterwards and was like, oh i wouldn't have picked this to follow this but what but in the middle of those two things was a fucking advert and it was Nigel Farage he was going on about how he'd gone up against the establishment and gone up against this and it was like a cheap telesales you know when you're watching like oh yeah cha I've channel four that. about four you, you know the one I mean and he's advertising yeah. some form of like um you know financial investment thing that's right that that, that actually came on we we um did a premiere of our last we're doing kind of YouTube premieres where we'll go online and chat to people when the, when a new video comes out and um, it came on just after our video. And I thought, hang on a minute. That's, this is, this is kind of antithetical to what's, what's going on here, but that is yeah. the way that it is that, you know, that you can't, you can't control it. And I think it, it was weird because it kind of goes a little bit against what I've, what I've been saying where, um, you know, one thing leads to another and you end up having loads and loads of the same opinions. And you would have thought after one of our songs, you might get something good. <laughs> well, you know, but music. just before a Clash documentary as well, do you know what I mean? Like you oh, yeah. guys, yeah, fair enough. But then, you know, your, your tour diary is followed by a history of the Clash, one of the most notoriously, you know, right on bands of all time. And then in the middle of that is this guy, it must have, they must have just pumped so much money into it that it's just popping up everywhere. But I just thought how ironic and hilarious and unsettling is it that this guy is just popped up here? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't wait very long to find out what it was. I, I, 
I, you know, I got I almost smashed my screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, watching that documentary did take me back, and it made me realise, you know, because I'm not really somebody who looks back very much. I'm always in the moment. I don't really worry about the future or look back on, you know, the past either. I try and just live in the now as much as possible. I get sentimental when I see things that remind me of the past and stuff. But watching that documentary, I was like, fuck, the noughties were actually now like a whole generation ago. And it's almost like I just woke up one day and, you know, your first album had come out, what, 15 years ago now. And and you think where, and, you know, obviously now you're a dad. I mean, do you have those moments where you think, my God, where did life go? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I'd rather like yourself, you know, I, I try and live in the present as much as possible. And, you know, if I look back at, at, at the, even a few years ago, I, I start to feel embarrassed <laughs> you know i just I, I don't see myself in 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 it even though I, I kind of see myself in the uh the music that we've made you know I, I feel very close to most of the songs on 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 our records when i hear them and they they instantly transport me back to um, the moment where i was writing them you know not not even not that necessarily the room or whatever but just that i try and create a, a picture for people to to sort of listen to if that makes sense you know i try and Mm -hmm. um write write something that is kind of timeless in its way but but still very specific and so when when i sing the songs live i feel in that moment and it i sort of bring it up i kind of i'm like a a strange (laughs) clairvoyant from my past and and meet those meet those personalities or those people again and bring them into the room and and try and um, you know, express what the song is about. So, you know, I definitely understand um, how you can be transported, but I also think um, it, 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 life, life is 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 to me very sequential. I, I feel, you know, I don't feel like there are sort of large periods of my life in um, where I, I don't remember what happened. And then, yeah, that makes sense. One thing <laughs> leads to another, you know. And then, so I see it all very much as a as a trajectory. And so I feel very close to the first record and us us at that time because I I still feel a lot of those feelings. I'm still the same person who has the same prob- probably the same hangups, the same obsessions, the same enjoyments. And yet, I'm different, and I have changed, and my life has changed. Um, I mean, I think there's on, on the new album, there's something that kind of discusses that in the song. I don't know what I'm doing. It says, uh, my tastes are still the same. It's just my habits that have changed. The nightly ritual is new, but feels as old as time. And, you know, to me, that is, that's how I feel, you know, I, I feel like I'm part of something that is bigger than myself. And yet, um, I have my own little rituals. I have, and and those have changed, you know, I, I don't go out like I used to go out on a night I'm in and I'm perfectly happy with that, you know, and I mean, I'm still, when, when gigs are going on, I'm still out maybe two or three times a week at a gig because music is, is my life. You know, I, I go and watch bands on our night off on tour and the rest of the rest of our crew just look at me like I'm mad. Um, you know, they just want to break from the noise and from being in a kind of dingy, sweaty venue, but I just, you know, I, I'm I'm always looking at it as a kind of fan, really. And so when I look at even even our own music, and it sounds odd to say it, perhaps, but you know, I'm 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 our biggest supporter. I'm our I'm a kind of zealot who goes around saying, "Check this out! It's really good," and this is what it's about. And when I sing the songs, 
that's kind of what I'm saying. And that's why I perform in the way that I do. I want, I want to draw people in. I don't mind looking slightly ludicrous doing it. You know, I want to, I want to put on a show for people and make their lives better for, for like whatever it is, an hour and a half of a gig or 40 minutes of a record or three minutes if a song comes on the radio. And so for me, when I look at, when I look at things like found on film or see some sort of footage of us, you know, I'm slightly embarrassed because of the way that I look or whatever, but, um, I still think I still, I feel like a kind of, a, you know, a pride and I think, ah, that, that person's trying to do the right thing. And if I can keep, if I can keep that up <laughs> through my life and through the music that we make, then, um, that's kind of all I can ask. Really. I can't control what other people think of our music. I can't control what other people think of me too much if they don't really know me, but I can obviously control how I do the things that I do. I can control my own personal interactions with people and try and, um, do as, as, as well as I can in that respect and treat people well around me and show empathy and, um, be, be engaged with the world around me. And I think, um, that when I look at, when I look at my, my past, uh, at a certain point, I feel like that's, that's something that, we, we, we kind of laid out as a band. That's the kind of band we were going to be. We weren't going to be like the other bands that were around and you either like us or you don't. And it, you know, we like pop music. We're not, we're not afraid of saying that, you know, we like rock music when we rock, it's hard, you know, we rock out. And, but when we, you know, when we do something more dreamy or electronic, you know, we, we kind of go full on into that, into that world. And it ends up sounding like us because we're, there's a kind of honesty to, to the, to what we're doing. There's a kind of, um, essence of Maximo Park that somehow filters out and, you know, whatever kind of song that we've made, it just, it has our own sensibility in it. And, um, I think life, life is, life moves on really fast. And to me, it seems very, very close, as I say, those, those days. Um, and it feels like, um, life will be over sooner than, sooner than we know. And, my my daughter growing up everybody says it but you know they they grow up fast and you know to you know try and enjoy it while you know each each different period of of life because they, they you know they move on to the next one and it's true you know and I, I i try not to be too sad about that um i mean there's a song on the new record called versions of you which is kind of about being away from someone um and looking at pictures on your phone and videos and trying to be close to them or close to that moment that happened a few years ago that you thought was worth preserving on your phone for posterity and i found myself only being able to um in my case remember my daughter as she is right now you know i couldn't i was looking at them and couldn't really understand why i wasn't you know in that moment and it just goes to show you know you have to live in the moment uh, i think it's it's a a very positive thing but in some moments it's kind of sad because you if you cherished a moment you want that that feeling to to last and i suppose the songs that we write are my way of of commemorating small moments in my own life and it's it's kind of the way that i feel confident writing you know the people write in different ways some people are more detached some people are more overtly political um and you know we've dipped into into different ways of, of writing the last album risk to exist was a, a more of more of political kind of statements um married up with 
hopefully dance, danceable, funky, soulful music. Um, but once we'd done that, we kind of, you know, it, it, we felt like, it, you know, let's move on to something else with this record. But yet, you know, all of those different things are, are sort of ingrained into the, the music that we make. All the things that we've done will somehow pop out at various moments and, and rise to the surface in, in, in our songs or in, 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 a, in an album or even in, yeah, even in a specific song, the middle eight might make you think of one of our other songs. And we don't want to, we don't want to deny that even though we want to evolve and move on and do different things. And I think that's one of the things that's helped bring people with us from, from that initial starting point. And we know we still, we still have people buying our records and still coming to our concerts, you know, whatever it is, 16 years later. And, um, to, to, I think if you invest yourself, you know, a lot of yourself in, in the music that you make, then it will have that kind of resonance in an ideal world. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah. 
Yeah, you've always been a really interesting band for me because when you came out, you were kind of lumped in with that sort of new wave post-punk revival. And and sonically, perhaps, there was definitely elements of that with Wire and Buzzcocks and bands like that. I think you could sort of tell the influence a bit mm-hmm. was there. But you guys always had something different to a lot of your contemporaries in that there was real heart and substance and depth and soul and honesty, all these things which you're alluding to there. They were always there from day one. And I think... You know, pop music you mentioned as well. That's an interesting way of looking at it because for me, I look at pop music like the Kinks' Waterloo Sunset, one of the greatest pop songs ever made and such a simple story of day-to-day life like you were saying earlier on the mundane might not perhaps be obvious material for a pop song but actually if you're a good songwriter you're a good storyteller you can distill day-to-day life in the most beautiful and evocative timeless little three-minute you know, cinematic epics. And that's obviously something as a songwriter, you, you know, personally and, and as a group, you guys have always come at it from that approach, I think. Would that be safe to say with various musical progressions along the way? Absolutely. You know, we believe in the power of the song and we kind of serve the song and try not to um, have anything extraneous within the song. You know, everything in, in that sense, they're kind of precision tooled. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're um, not in a cold way they're just it's part of a craft you know where where artisans you know like uh which we uh in the in the parlance of our time you know everybody's reclaimed that word for, for this kind of authenticity but i think it's you know there's there's an, an element of truth in it you know that that this um labor that we put into it and this thought as well as the kind of visceral things and the the kind of passion that we put into it there's a thoughtfulness and reflective quality to our music, even even the most punky of, of songs. And I think that, you know, that you, you mentioned post-punk music, and I think, yes, a lot of people were trying to recreate the sound of, of post-punk music, but it's yeah, that. that's the key, isn't it? A lot of them were recreating the sound, but they didn't have the same lyrical depth as bands like Magazine. You know, they were they were copying the sonics, but the stories, the existential subject matter wasn't perhaps, you know, explored to the same level as you guys were doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's not for me to say, but I, I do believe our, you know, our intention was to use something like the, a post-punk ethos, which is, right, you've got your three chords and the truth and that anger is an energy, but what do you do with it after that? And, yeah. you know, we were trying to find solutions to that. And, you know, you have more electronic stuff on our first record, like I want you to stay Limassol acrobat, but you also have this kind of bubblegum pop thing that's going on, you know, almost fifties rock and roll, like Buddy Holly was kind of influencing me when I, I wrote the night I lost my head off that record, for example. And then you listen to baby sleep off the new record and, you know, Dunk's got this really cool guitar riff, but there's also this, um, you know, beautiful melody on the top, this kind of catchiness. And in in many ways that makes us a, a, an outlier and an, and, a, and an odd, 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 odd band out really, because we're not afraid of those things. And, I, you know, I love catchy, catchy melodies, you know, it's kind of power pop more than, more than anything else. It's, it's something that, um, you know, whether it's big star or <laughs> the go betweens yeah, yeah. or, or some, or felt or something like that, you know, where, we are using kind of traditional elements, you know, bass, drums, guitars, and keyboards um, and vocals, but we're trying to do something with it that you might not have heard before, whether it's in the arrangement, whether it's a, a lyric, a lyrical idea, or um, a turn of phrase that you might not have heard in a song. 
I mean, you know, on our first album, there's a song called Now I'm All Over the Shop. And it was, it was interesting to me to kind of get these more colloquial phrases into songs. And again, you know, there were, there were certainly other people at the time in, and in our wake um, who were doing similar things. Um, so again, it's not, it's not a surprise that, that, you know, people lumped us in with some of those other bands, but yeah, I feel like, you know, nobody sang like me, nobody played the guitar like Junk, nobody played the drums like Tom, nobody played the keys like Lucas and nobody played the bass like Archers. And the combination of those five individual personalities is, 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 is Maximo Park. And it's not, you know, everybody has a voice in our band, which is not always the case again in bands, you know, there's somebody leading it or there's a, a songwriting duo and sure enough, myself and Dunk wrote and continue to write most of the songs, but um, the arrangements were, were a real mix of our, of our quite diverse personalities and influences. And, that's kind of set the template, even though there's just me and Duncan Tom left from the original band now, because Lucas emigrated after the last album and has kind of started a family in um, in Australia. We had the we had the 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 time of reflection after after that, and we we realised that we whatever we came up with would still sound like Maximo Park because it's got my guitar, uh, my my voice, my voice, and you know Dunk's guitar. Um, and now Dunk's playing a bit of keyboards and that kind of melodic sensibility is there. And I think, you know, you talk about Ray Davis and the kinks and, you know, there's a, there's a real melodic sensibility that is really kinksy and Ray Davies and you can't quite put your finger on it. And I'm sure some musicologists probably could, and they could do the same with, you know, our chord progressions and what keys we write in and what, what keys favor my voice or whatever. And, you, you know, you could, you can boil it down to those things, but I enjoy that kind of mystery to it. You know, I'm not a trained musician. I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing when I start out with the songs. You know, I'd never sung before being in Maximo Park. You know, it, I, I didn't know how to do it. So I was just kind of making it up in, you know, in my early 20s, just trying to figure out what kind of a singer I wanted to be and what kind of a band we should be with the rest of the guys. And yeah, I feel like... um whatever it is we do, whether you like it or not, it, you know, it sounds like us and we we've made it with the best intentions, you know, to make, you know, to make amazing music, you know, we're ordinary people and we, but we want to make music that's incredible and that, that stands the test of time. And, you know, anybody could get into it in theory. And that, that to me is, yeah, it's pop music. It's, it, it's something that transcends its genre. Um, whether it's, I don't know, sitting on the dock of the bay or, um, you know, anarchy in the UK, it's, or, or summertime by the Fresh Prince or whatever, you know, it's like, um, it could be anything. It, it just, it, it, whatever it, it has, this kind of, this hook, hooky quality, this melodic quality. And, you know, I like a lot of different type of music and I might listen to something that's, um, you know, I don't know, ambient or droney on a, on an evening. But, you know, when a, when a really great song comes on the radio, I just, I, you know, I, I put everything down and listen. And, and I, I mean, I, that's kind of reflected in our new song, All of Me. It says, I turn the radio on to find someone who tells me what I, what I need to hear. And I, I'm looking for that. You know, it might, you might have to wait a couple of songs on whatever station you're listening to, or you might skip from station to station to, to find that thing. But it's, you know, I, I still have that pop idealism um, that, that makes me 
energetic and, and, and want to, to write more songs like that and to, to find that, that sort of elusive, you know, gold in, in the, in the hills. <laughs> yeah. How can we capture it and bottle it for all time in a perfect three and a half minute little pop song? Uh, so what, um, you know, with Warp Records, so you did, was it three albums you did with them? You did, yes. I mean, on paper, that must have seemed to outsiders perhaps at the time like a strange choice, but obviously it was a great relationship because it lasted. Um, do you reckon signing with them kind of scored you some some kudos points in the industry and gave you a bit of cred? And, and what was that relationship like with, with those guys? Because at that time, you were probably definitely one of the first, right, more commercial mainstream acts at that point it was all boards of canada and you know more yeah. avant-garde how did that come about well i mean they saw our first seven inch which a friend of ours funded we, had, we made a, a red seven inch of graffiti and going missing that was recorded in duncan tom's house um on their landing in uh, my my vocals were done in a in a, a mound of coats so that we didn't have any reverb, <laughs> reverb on it. Like at a party. <laughs> exactly. I was just underneath a, a pile um, trying to sing. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, it had this kind of, um, this appeal to to Warp and to Steve Beckett who ran Warp. And we felt a kind of kindred spirit, you know, and, and the people who worked there were, again, on our wavelength, even if, you know, it might be even just be... Um, James Burton in the art department or, or it could be the people in the warehouse who are sort of sifting through all of the records, you know, they employed interesting people with something to say and you could, you could extend that to all of the artists. And I think, I think they were definitely branching out. There was Gravenhurst who had, um, had I think had just released his first record when we, we signed with Warp Flashlight Seasons and they had, um, broadcast and started signing a few extra bands um, like Chick Chick Chick, who yeah were definitely moving away from that electronica and um, IDM sound that that they were known for. And I think it definitely did make people sit up and notice, even if they looked at it and said, "God, what are they doing?" You know, at least it caused it kind of ruffled a few feathers. But I think I'll bet yeah, yeah you know, a lot of people also were exposed to our music who wouldn't have listened to it. And it, it marked us out as, as um, an unusual band in some way. And I think that can only help, especially with the kind of music that we were making that was this unusual idiosyncratic pop music. Uh, you know, that, that connection made a lot of sense to us. And we were big fans of, of everybody on the label. You know, you couldn't ask for a better label to be on. You know, there's, there's sort of two or three independent labels that, are kind of up there with warp but you know to, to even be on on one of those is is fantastic but to be on warp and be part of this rich lineage of people like Ortecra and afx twin and you know oddballs like vincent gallo you know it was well i was going to ask you paul so on the warp tw on the warp 20 compilation <laughs> you covered when vincent gallo for me is one of the most fascinating human beings in the world he's obviously got some incredibly bizarre and questionable opinions but i mean buffalo 66 alone um just his performance obviously he directed and wrote it and kind of i think maybe edited it as well did he he seemed to do everything but what an interest for those a time when he was for me just one of the most interesting captivating on-screen performers but then just artists as well and you have you ever seen the movie he's in arizona dream with johnny depp 
No, I haven't seen that one, actually. Oh, mate, you, you have to see that. That is him at his, like, peak 90s weirdest best. But, uh, I mean, what made you pick that song? Just because it was such a curveball? Um, it was, I mean, we like the song for a start. You know, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful song. I love his, his vocal on that. And we wanted, yeah, we, you know, we like to, to do the, the thing that is not necessarily expected of us for a start. And, yeah, I mean, when, when I was in my instrumental band, um, after art college with my friends, Rachel and Laura, um, we used to have Buffalo 66 in the background while we were playing and we used to project that actually. Amazing. I'm, Proper I've, velvet underground style. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, we weren't singing, so we thought let's, let's put, put something else on the, on the screen. And we, we were all fans of that music. Uh, I'm sorry of that, of that film and the soundtrack actually. Um, did he do the music to that film as he well? He did. He did the music yeah. and there's like a few yes songs and, um, there's like Moonchild on there, King Crimson. And he's, um, we had a song called Christina Ricci, which was uh, again, right. influenced yeah. by, by the movie. And so we would play, yeah, when we played that, we would put the, the bowling alley scene where she dances and the lights come down on, on the screen behind us and then move on to some of the super eight stuff that we'd filmed ourselves of cranes at walls end, um, which then ended Amazing. up influencing Maxine Wall Parks, I want you to stay where it says the where cranes collect the sky. So it was all yeah. kind of you know intertwined, you know, being influenced by things, letting things rub off on you. And um, I mean, looking back, did you at ever it, meet? Did you ever meet him? No, I, I didn't. Um, I'm not sure I'd I'd, I'd want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair the, the enough. Thought, the thought scares <laughs> me a little bit because yeah, um, Phil Canning, who was the international press guy at, at Warp at the time. You know, he had a few a few interesting tales about about Vincent Gallo, um, and so yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, where, wherever the influences come from, we'll we'll always try and have a nod to them along the way. Um, I want to. Well, I don't want to ask you. I want to tell you a little story, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this. So many many years ago, I was dating a girl called Joanne. Joanne Billingham, her name was, and she. She taught me to look at your song, Apply Some Pressure, in a different way because I'd just sort of always taken it as just this really catchy, infectious, great pop song, but I'd never really delved behind the meaning of the lyrics or anything. And obviously, you know, you might have a different interpretation. I'm sure you will. It's your song. But for Joe, she said there was a period in her life where she did lose everything. You know, she'd come out of a really, I think, intense breakup and, you know, her whole life as she knew it had disappeared and she said that song was like this anthem for her of strength and defiance and you know holding on and carrying on and obviously there's that you know amazingly potent and powerful lyric in it the way you sing it as well what happens when you lose everything you just start again you start all over again and I've been thinking a lot more just about that song and that mindset in this you know pandemic time because I like many people you know I'm a DJ by trade that's where I make most of my money. So, you know, I've lost all my work through this and I had to leave London and move back home with my folks and all this sort of stuff and kind of recalibrate life and just sort of been looking at the world like, oh God, I've lost everything. But then there's there's almost a freedom and a liberation that comes with that. And it really is, if you if you want it to be, a case of just as simple as, well, let's just start afresh from scratch and build it up again and it really i mean this story from from joe's interpretation of the song is from many many years ago but i guess it's only really been for me in this year that i've had that connection with it and i'd love to hear about your experience and the inspiration behind that song in particular 
Well, for me, it was. It if was, you don't mind divulging yeah, that kind no, of stuff, for, for me, it was it was relationship driven, and in many ways, it's kind of advice to myself. And you know, when things go wrong or the, things don't work out how you want them to, especially when you feel intensely about somebody, or um, you have these kind of dreams that you project, and yeah, it, as as the lyric says, you you change the way I think about myself. Um, you know, somebody who is who is you know, shifted your thinking on life um, and things don't don't work out. You have to find a way beyond that. You know, you can't live like that. Uh, and I suppose that, that, you know, there are parts of the song that kind of celebrate that relationship and um, the, the way that we can get, can, can move on from that and, and celebrate it again. You know, the song is a, a sort of celebration, uh, a commemoration. And yet at the end, it has this, more all-encompassing phrase that it, you know in that kind of middle as middle to end section where it's you know the the what happens when you lose everything part comes in and um yeah lots of people have have approached me over the years and have have spoken about very difficult times in their lives and 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 mentioned that song being the the thing that got them through and you know to me it just it blows my mind that people have had that reaction to the the music that we've made and to the lyrics that I've written, um, because obviously I, I, you know, they're very personal to me initially. And I always try and make sure that they've, they've got some sort of universal meaning within all of that. You know, I don't want them to be diary entries. You know, I've always said that I think, um, there, because there is a, a confessional and, um, cathartic element to them it could easily tip over into that territory and maybe sometimes you know for 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 some people it probably does um I, but to me it is it, it's it's the way that i write and that line is is me sort of saying it to myself every night when i sing it even now you know i still feel you know overwhelmed by the song to some extent uh, that's amazing i was going to ask you that because it's obviously such a popular song you've obviously sung it a that well way more than a thousand at this stage probably <laughs> thousands of times and and i was intrigued to know do you still get invested in it and, and inhabit those words in the same way as you did when you wrote it and the answer you're saying there is is obviously yeah yeah, yeah i do and i um, i mean I, I, I don't like practicing it. I don't like practice it a because it's really high pitched, <laughs> but yeah. B because, you know, I've, I have sang it so many times, but it, as soon as I'm in a room with, with, with an audience, you know, it, it transforms, it completely changes meaning. And I, 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 I kind of save myself, you know, when I'm practicing, I, I, I don't want to get into it too much. You know, I want to make sure that I, I know the songs in inside out so that when it comes to performances, I can, focus on the performance i can focus on you know getting the correct emotions for the for the for the the way i'm i'm singing and yeah I, I, even even in the practice room sometimes when it gets to that final bit um it's just whatever it is you know again the combination in a song of the melody the words the the music behind it all of those different things somehow combine and and create uh you know the tingle down the spine and the, and this this moment that is, is hard to explain. Um, and you know, so I, I often 
have moments like that when we're practicing where I'll just kind of just get so into it. And when we first practiced and we hadn't even played in front of people, that was kind of how I was, you know, to some extent, you know, I wasn't kind of jumping and hitting my head on the ceiling or anything, but I was, I was, <laughs> you know, getting into it and I'd never performed before. I'd never sang before on that level. You know, I'd played guitar and, you know, done, done some high kicks so that we knew which section of the, of this instrumental song was the next, you know, and move on to the next bit. And it all, you know, you, you build up all of these different things over the years, but it comes, yeah, it does come down to very simple things, really a melody, um, a band playing and, um, a lyric that, that means something to you and to other people. And, and, and even if I was bored of it, which I'm not, <laughs> when I see people and how much they love that song in the front row and oh, people the, that's got to you know, be a powerful thing. Yeah. People on the people at the back with their arms in the air, you know, the people who've just been playing it cool and drinking the pints because, you know, uh, we're, we've all got different gig personalities and just that, that moment hmm. when you play, not just that song, but a few, you know, quite a few of the other ones um, where it's not just the people at the front going mad, where the whole room is just, you know, in this moment, you know, I can't, I can't help but be moved by that. I can't help but um, throw myself even more into the songs, which again, people can see that when we play live. I've never given less than a hundred percent, and you know, I still remember, I still remember going to a going to the supermarket and picking up a music magazine, and somebody had said, ah, you know, it was it was pretty good or whatever. Um, Paul Smith seemed to be phoning in his performance, and it made me want to like, you know, it made me want to do do bad things you know it made me feel feel yeah. quite violent <laughs> well do you know what i come from that world to some extent but i hate the term journalist like if people say oh my friend matt is a journalist i go whoa 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 don't call me that and it, you know many ways i am because i like to encapsulate stories and share experiences but i hate critics so much and this isn't you saying this i'll just say it for you <laughs> the, the the idea of like scathingly writing about you know, either a record, a piece of art or a live show performance that somebody has poured their heart and soul into. You just sit there and write it off with a few words, especially now in the age when you can just, you know, if you read a bad review, that's not going to stop anybody going to a show or listening to the record. I think I think it's such a redundant profession. And so I can fully feel your pain because, you know, <laughs> even if I put up a podcast episode and it gets like a bad review on iTunes, I'm like, what? But it was free. You didn't have to listen to it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I don't. I don't mind necessarily that 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 critics are out there, you know, sharpening their pencils and, um, <laughs> you know, doing what they need to do. And you know, there needs to be some sort of critical opinion about things. Otherwise, you know, it's just this homogenous gloop. But I think when it becomes more personal and when it's yeah. when it's kind of intimating something that clearly isn't true i think you could probably criticize the fact that i put too much into my performances and i would go along <laughs> with that and i'd say okay you either like it or you don't but to say to say something like that um it was is yeah it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your mind because you think that's that's just not what that's just not what it's all about you know for me um it is about that passion and and the connection with with what you're doing and you know, it's just the nature of the band. I can't, you know, we're not the Velvet Underground, you know, we're not the Clash, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're, we are only our, our own selves and the way that we are comes across in the songs um, for better or for worse. You know, you've, you, you have to stay true to, to, to what you, 
believe in and how you want to express yourself. Yeah, and I think as well, the flip side to that is if you do read something disparaging about yourself, that fuels you then with every performance, hopefully going forward, if you're self-aware enough to go, well, I'm, I'm not going to let them have me like that again. So I'm out here to prove that I mean this 110%. And a tiny little bit of that driving you can actually be quite healthy, I think, is that idea of anybody could be watching tonight and it doesn't matter who they're, you know, who they are. Let's just go out there and give everybody the best performance that I can. Yeah. Absolutely. And at least I know I've done my job. Absolutely. Listen, Paul, I could talk to you all day, but I feel like I should let you go at this stage because you've, you've got many things to do, I'm sure. But on a personal level, I just wanted to say that was one of the best conversations I've ever had doing this show, and I've done over 200 at this stage. Um, what a thoroughly engaging and smart and, and sweet and cool guy you are. <laughs> so thanks so much for giving up your time and just being so you know generous and thoughtful and, and great with, with, well, I don't even want to say your answers because it felt like we were more just chatting away. But yeah, thanks for just fucking being a great, great guest. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. When you get some shows in the diary, which will hopefully be not too far away, now things are sort of beginning to potentially yeah, well, open up for the summer and autumn and beyond. I'd love to come down to a show and, and see you guys do your thing. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to go to many shows, but I definitely am going to put Maximo Park near the top of that list. Please, please do. You know, we've still, we've still got in the back of our mind the hopes that the, the dates that we've got are going are gonna to happen later in the year, but everything's so up and down and uncertain. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Amazing. Well, listen, mate, all the best. Congratulations on everything. And, uh, and thanks again for coming on the show and, and entertaining me. It's been great, man. No worries. Take care and have a, have a good evening. I like to wait to see how things turn out. If you apply some pressure, I like to wait and see how things turn out.